I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land can never be purged away but with blood. I let them hang me. I forgive them, and may God forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hello, everybody. I'm Randy Credico. Uh, this is Randy Credico uh, live on the fly here on 99.5 FM in New York City, uh, WBAI.org, Free Speech Radio. Uh, by the way, at the very top of that, uh, before the, my theme song, The Third Man, uh, that was uh, Raymond Massey from the worst movie ever made. Uh, it was called um, Santa Fe Trail. I mean, just a complete disaster. Uh, but it's Raymond Massey. As John Brown, the only thing accurate is him playing uh, that speech at the end uh, before he died at 11.15 in the morning on December 2nd. Uh, also in that film was Errol Flynn as Jeb Stewart and Ronald Reagan as George Custer, okay? Yes, it was Reagan as Custer, and as you know what he said, uh, John Brown's trying to stop our freedom from taking other people's freedom away. So uh, at any rate, so today is um, John Brown's um, anniversary of uh, his uh, execution. In spite of a fervent and eloquent uh, plea by uh, Victor Hugo that came out uh, that morning in the London news, uh, he was hanged uh, in Charlestown, now Charlestown, uh, West Virginia. Uh, it took like 35 minutes for him to die. And, you know, to walk us through that day, uh, talk about John Brown and the influences of uh, John Brown, his religion and all of that, as much as we can squeeze in in 22 minutes, uh, is the uh, preeminent civil rights leader, civil rights activist uh, in this country, maybe the world, a uh, man who I admire so much. And uh, uh, he also is the host of this great podcast with Trisha uh, Rose called The Tightrope. And uh, thank you, um Dr. West, Dr. Cornell West, for joining us today. Oh, you know us, Brother West, oh man, what a blessing to be with you, my fellow freedom fighter and cellmate with Carl Dixon, Steve Phelps, and the others fighting, stopping Chris. We were singing Motown in the cell, my brother. I know. And, you know, that's the last time you and I had a, all of us had a very long and profound discussion about the abolition movement. Uh, those 10 or 12 hours uh, in, in the jail cell. I, it, it was like the most wonderful experience of my life. I think working with Joe Williams may have come close and working with Bill Kunstler. But that, it, with you and what you and uh, Carl Dix did, all right, you, you two are the unsung heroes of the Stop and Frisk movement because you started the end of Stop and Frisk. It started that October day, you two collaborating, Carl Dix deserves a lot of credit for this and you for organizing that uh, civil disobedience uh, uh, action in front of a, a precinct up in Harlem. We all ended up in jail, but things started to snowball after that. So uh, 
I just want to give real. you kudos. No, it was, it, it's brother Carl. It's brother Carl. I was just long sided, but you remember we ended up in court, man. They tried to send us to jail for a couple of months <laughs> uh, as well. But we were embodying the spirit of John Brown, Harry Tubman. Yes. Yes. Well, truth. you know what I mean, well, Henry Highland Garnett, Frederick Douglass. That's what we were doing. But you know, you mentioned you mentioned Victor Hugo's uh, powerful powerful uh, 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 words when he said there's something more frightening than Cain killing Abel, and that is Washington killing Spartacus. America, know and ponder on this. Now, that's the kind of impact that our dear brother John Brown had. But it's so relevant today, man, because you got a lot of talk about identity politics, racial identity, gender identity, sexual orientational identity, national identity. Of course, everybody has a number of identities, but with John Brown, it's fairly clear. If your identity is not rooted in an integrity, solidarity with the least of these, the courage and the vision and the willingness to live and die, then it's superficial. It's got to be deeper than skin pigmentation and gender and sexual orientation. It has to do with one's character. What risk you're willing to take? What quality of service are you willing to render? John Brown is one of the great examples of a vanilla brother who was willing to die for black people against white supremacy, and even Frederick Douglass. Remember his famous speech in 1881 where he talked about John Brown? He said, John Brown's zeal in the cause of freedom was infinitely superior to mine. Mine was as the tapper light. His was as the burning sun. I could speak for the slave. John Brown could fight for the slave. I could live for the slave. John Brown could die for the slave. That's, that's Frederick Douglass at Store College at Harper's Ferry, the black college, in 1881. Now, we know, of course, that, you know, Frederick Douglass's love of black people is beyond description. But he's saying that John Brown's love of black people, he's saying John Brown's zeal of fighting white supremacy was that intense. And he's not the only white brother or sister like that. You got the Ann Brakes, you got the Rabbi Heschel, you got the... Uh, 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 little Maria Child, we can go all the way up to the, yeah. the William Cutler, Cutler, the Charles Garys, the Flint Taylors. I mean, it goes on and on. We have to understand this is a moment of deep solidarity with the rest of the earth. This is a moment of integrity and telling the truth about some, so many of these narrow neoliberal discourses about identity that don't say a mumbling word about predatory capitalism and Pentagon militarism. Well, you know, you mentioned, I, I want to stop you there with uh, Lydia Maria Child. Well, I saw you at uh, Colby College, the deliver speech at Colby College, and you talked about her uh, and the contribution that she made uh, along with Elijah Lovejoy. I had no idea until I saw that speech by you that Lovejoy also was a, uh, a graduate of Colby uh, College. Can you, can you talk about those two? Uh, and what an impact that uh, Elijah Lovejoy's death had on John Brown. But, you know, oh, that yeah, religious deal there. That's crucial. Well, one, I mean, first, Lydia Maria Child, of course, her connection with the great David Walker. David Walker's appeal is probably the most powerful prophetic indictment of evil in the emerging American empire. 1829, he'd be dead just a few months later. Then she writes her appeal just a few years later. And then with Eliza Lovejoy, who himself also went to Princeton Seminary, as you know. Yes. Ended up in Alton, Illinois, with an abolitionist paper. Three times he was attacked. He then killed his brother Owen, building on the legacy 
in the death of Elijah Lovejoy, what does John Brown say? Here, almost like, like Martin Luther. Here I stand. I am going to devote the rest of my life, blood, sweat, tears, body, heart, mind, soul, to the abolition of slavery in the name of his deep love for black people. Of course, he's coming out of biblical scripture, and he's got his interpretations of biblical scripture in terms of his love of neighbor and his fundamental identification of God with the oppressed. And that's why Harriet Tubman said what? He was the greatest white man that ever lived. That's why Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson said what John Brown made the gallows glorious like the cross. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson with Henry David Thoreau way up in Concord, Massachusetts, saying that about John Brown. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you you focusing on him, man. I hope people read the, the great novel by my dear brother Russell Banks, Cloud Splitter. He wrote that right across the street from me when we were living together. Princeton is one of the great American novelists, but he spent years and years working on John Brown. Moved himself up to where John Brown himself was living in in New England for a while just to get a sense of John Brown. But no, nobody liked John Brown, though, brother. He's something. Listen, you're absolutely right. You know, I did, I haven't read that bio, but I did read um, most of the voices uh, uh, Ooh, yeah. to John Brown. And, and here's what he says in, in the preface. And I'm gonna, if you agree with this, it, it, this is a tribute to a man uh, of, of all Americans who has perhaps come nearest, um, nearest to touch to the real soul of black folk. Of black people, folks. We read that together, brother. I, I remember that after the beginning of 1909. Yes. Great biography by Du Bois. That, you remember he goes on to raise that question, was John Brown simply an episode or was he an eternal truth? Is this just <laughs> going to be an aberration? Will America remain white supremacist to the end of its own decline and fall as an empire? Or will John Brown send a message so that we engage in fundamental transformation of America that hits not simply the vicious legacy of white supremacy, but also is concerned about poor and working people of all colors? Yes. Anyway, and there's there's a line in there that I got baffled with. Maybe you can explain this to me. In, in the preface in Du Bois' 1909 bio on John Brown, he says that the price of repression is greater than the cost of freedom. Can can you tell me what that means? Because I, can't, for the life of me, I really can't figure that out. Yeah, I think what he's saying is, and this is a note to so many of the right wing brothers and sisters who talk about liberty, 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 and don't understand that liberty for the wolves means death for the lambs. Liberty for the slaveholders means means social death for the slave. This is liberty for the patriarchs and households means a, a form of of social and psychic death for women and so forth, that he's saying that liberty has to be understood vis-a-vis what it's predicated on. And that if your liberty is predicated on domination, if your liberty is predicated on occupation, if your liberty is dedicated on subordination, then in fact it's not worth it and it will not last. Actually, Victor Hugo's lie actually is powerful. Remember when he said, he said, the assassination of emancipation by liberty itself. That's in the same open letter that you just read. The right. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Victor Hugo was... Liberty itself. That, 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 that is the same point that the, the, the repression, which is the precondition of a small number of people's liberty, 
is never worth it because sooner or later chickens come home to roost. You're going to reap what you sow. Wow. That is uh, exactly. I was I'm so glad that you explained that to me because I read it a dozen times. I'm like, exactly what that means. And I, you, thank you for helping me out on that. I, I want to talk about uh, some of the other people in Brown's uh, life. Uh, most uh, notably, uh, Theodore Parker. Now, uh, Theodore Parker. Oh, great, and great he, Theodore Parker. That, that's yes. our brother now. That's our brother. Absolutely. Yes. And oh, so talk send, about Theodore Parker was one of the you secrets. You me things. books on Theodore Parker. I love it. I love it, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about Theodore Parker. Actually, you know, he was a student of uh, of uh, Lydia Child's uh, husband. I think his name was Converse Francis, also at uh, Colby College. I had I did not know that. But uh, Theodore Parker uh, became very close uh, with John Brown. Uh, tell us a little bit about Theodore Parker uh, and his zeal for John Brown uh, and all the other uh, people that were involved in that secret six, which included uh, uh, Frank Sanborn and uh, George Stearns and uh, Thomas uh, Wentworth Higginson. They were all very religious, uh, Brother Cornell. Uh, religion was so important uh, to the uh, abolition movement. Can you give us like a background of that first and then talk about Parker specifically? Well, I mean, when you look at the Theodore Parkers, the Thomas Winsworth Higginsons, the, the uh, Luther Stearns, the Samuel uh, Gridley Houses, and others, so the so-called the Committee of Six, the Secret Six, and, and others as well. Because William Lord Garrison, who actually was very pacifistic in his own way, he still supported Brown in this way. Uh, uh, that what, what what was driving them was this sense of impunity, this sense of indifference toward the suffering of others, this sense of thinking that somehow you could get away with by saying and doing anything, especially in regard to the vulnerable, in this case, Africans, New World Africans, Africans with dignity, black people with dignity who were being enslaved and exploited in this. So it was a deeply Religious, you say, actually Christian. Of course, Parker is complicated because he had come through the Unitarian uh, uh, tradition and had his own deeply spiritual, moral, and uh, 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 quasi-Christian uh, sensibilities. But he was he was not, you know, a, a traditional Orthodox Christian by any 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 means. But at the same time, with a Garrett Smith. And Garrett Smith is very important. Why? Because that same Garrett Smith with Horace Greeley and Cornelius Vanderbilt would actually play the bell for Jefferson Davis after the war. See, so wow. it's very interesting with you when you look at this tense. Well, it was just a family quarrel. Uh, we now need to all come together. You began to see even some of the abolitionists who themselves, unlike John Brown, were unable to be consistent in terms of their fundamental concern to black folk after slavery. See, if John Brown had lived, he would have been just as critical of Jim Crow. He would have been just as critical of the American terrorism. He would have been just as critical of the lynching. He would have gone, because he, he was driven by a love of black people. And that, that cuts much deeper than a concern about the union and the identity of the union and whether the union can survive uh, under these particular circumstances and so on. So Garrett Smith is a fascinating figure. And let us not forget Mary Ellen Pleasant, brother. Yes. Mary Ellen Pleasant. She was the black woman 
who gave John Brown thirty thousand dollars in eighteen fifty seven, which is equivalent to nine hundred thousand dollars today, known as the mother of human rights in California, known as the Harriet Tubman of California. She had married a white brother. He had had, had, had dropped dead. She inherited all of this money and the note in the pocket of John Brown when he was executed. The axe hits at the bottom. It's the first step. If you need more money, let me know. That was that. That was from M. E. P. Mary Ellen Pleasant, a black woman. Wow. Had more money even before. Uh, uh, Madam, Madam Walker, she was wow. using her money as a uh, freedom fighter. She also did magnificent things for labor and for fighting alcoholism and homelessness in California. They got a lovely little park in San Francisco right around the house with my dear, dear, dear brother, Danny Glover, one of the great freedom fighters himself, tied to the greatest uh, of, of among us these days, Harry Belafonte, who's still going strong with that legacy of Paul Robeson. So that when we're talking about John Brown, you know, you, oof, you talking about a force. Now, granted, you know, he, he killed innocent people and you got a number of people calling him a terrorist and so forth and so on. And I, I think he's actually wrong in many ways of killing innocent people in that way. But at the same time, I don't lose sight of his fire. I don't lose sight of his love. And in fact, even in Kansas, when he killed innocent folk, these were the folk who would threaten to kill his wife and his children. And so, again, even if we are critical of ever killing innocent folk, and we, I think we have to, that we have to be able to understand what goes into persons who have this kind of fire. So he is not to be reduced to some kind of uh, ugly terrorist in that way. He's a freedom fighter, and people are killing innocent black people. Over yes. And over again, year after year, generation after generation after generation. Then he kills, he kills four white folk, and he becomes exemplar of terrorism. And the system of slavery is never viewed as state-sponsored, legalized terrorism against black folk for over 244 years. You see, you see the asymmetry and the imbalance there. And so uh, we have to acknowledge, you know, the, some of the critiques of John Brown. But good God Almighty, though, brother, this December second. Well, well, after Bloody Kansas, uh, after Bloody yeah, Kansas, yeah. Uh, you know, from John Brown uh, went to uh, New England. Uh, Frank Sanborn introduced him to his friends, uh, the Transcendentalists, uh, Emerson and uh, Thoreau in particular, and they really warmed up to him. They, those guys really, you know, Emerson came on late. Uh, his abolition uh, writings came on late. Uh, so what was it that they saw in him? Uh, Emerson and Thoreau and others that Bronson Alcott and others saw in John Brown, uh, Wendell Phillips, uh, in him that endeared Brown to them? I think it was integrity, sincerity, a moral tenacity, and a certain kind of a single-mindedness. You know, Emerson and Thoreau, uh, Thoreau, more than Emerson, was a man of action. He went to jail fighting U.S. imperialism against Mexico. Uh, uh, but Emerson, in some ways, exalted men of action, but he was not so much a man of action himself in terms of concrete deeds. He was a man of action in terms of writing words. Uh, it reminds a little bit of Frederick Douglass. Remember Frederick Douglass himself 
who meets with Brown, is close to Brown, supportive of Brown, writes that very important uh, 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 column right before Brown, but then decides, no, this is this is this is not for me. Brown embraces, uh, hugs Douglas, begs for him to join. He says, no, this is not for me. This is going to this is a dead end. And of course, as soon as it, the execute, as soon as the uh, uh, the attack takes place, uh, the arrest is put out for Douglas, and he has to run to Canada and then off to England for many, many, many months and returns with the death of his beloved daughter Anne, namesake after his wife Anne. So a lot of people thought, well, Douglas got cowardly. Well, no, no, Douglas had a different kind of calling in that regard. But Emerson and Thoreau, and especially Emerson, his calling was very much to be a man of action with words on the page, but he then would support the men of action who were willing to lay down their lives. Emerson's not willing to lay down his life in that way. And you can even see from my quote from Douglas, when Douglas says, look, you know, he, he died for black folks. I live for black folks. Wow. Yes, and, we're and talking about I was not willing to, you know, this is, this is, this is deep stuff coming from Frederick Douglass. It doesn't get me deeper. And, and Blight lays this out. You know, David Blight lays this out. You know, chapter 15. He lays it. In fact, that's the name of his chapter. John Brown could die for the slave. That's Brother David Blight from Yale and his, his award winning book on Douglass. Wow. I am definitely going to read that book now. I want to get to, I forgot to talk about uh, Melville's Deportant uh, and the the, uh, the Meteor. And I think Whitman, the year of the Meteor, uh, were, were they both referring to John Brown, Melville, and uh, Whitman being the Meteor? I read Deportant, and I'm not sure. See, I just don't know. That's a good question, oh, brother. We've got to go back to the great Melville. We, I, I do not know that. That's a wonderful Wonderful question, very much so. But what's wonderful, but what's powerful about these towering artists like the Melvilles and the Whitmans is that they are so attuned to the forms of catastrophe in the midst of American claims about innocence. That you read Benito Serino's, probably the most powerful indictment of white supremacist slavery ever put on paper. And here is white brothers living in Albany. But he's hanging out with black folk in Albany. He's shaped. Sterling Stuckey has taught us that. The great historian, the black historian has taught us that. That Melville was immersed in a deep sensitivity to suffering of black people. Uh, uh, Whitman himself, as you know, you know, he's there at the hospitals and engaging in the, uh, very sensitive action with the soldiers during, during the war. That he's up on what is going on. He's not as progressive as, as Melville, actually. But, uh, uh, and the other thing to keep in mind, though, is the cosmopolitan nature of this thing. You know, they got a major avenue named after John Brown in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, because he right. studied Toussaint Latour. He studied the, the, the Maroon, Maroon rebellions in Jamaica that my dear brother Vincent Brown has written about with such insight and Tacky's revolt, that, that he, he studied with Hugh Forbes, who had worked with Garibaldi, in various ways of resisting structures of domination in Italy, even though, as you know, Hugh Forbes will uh, will, will, will actually uh, rat on him. And, yes, uh, yes. And, yeah, I know all about Forbes. Forbes, uh, about, uh, yeah, Forbes, Forbes was... Hmm. 
Yeah, so let me talk about Forbes for a minute. He did fight with Garibaldi, and actually he was part of the thousand that liberated Italy, uh, or the two That's Sicilies. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, he did rat on on uh, on Brown. And the he difference between... My he ran on right. my brother John Brown. That wasn't right, man. That wasn't right. <laughs> Garibaldi, though, now, Brown was religious. Garibaldi was anti-clerical. And, and I think the reason was is because the Roman Catholic Church, you know, very repressive in those papal states. Accommodating to, to domination. You're right. You're right. Too often, not always, but usually too often. Absolutely. We are talking with Cornell West. We only have a few minutes left here, Cornell. Uh, I, I want to know uh, what you think if Brown were around today, uh, what would he see in America and what would he do if the same person were around today? Would he be satisfied with his legacy? Well, I just think what, when they asked Malcolm X, can white people join your organization, Afro-American Unity, he said, if John Brown were alive, <laughs> would be acceptable. That's what Malcolm said off the plane. Which wow. is to say John Brown would be dealing, building on the legacy of Malcolm X, revolutionary, Muslim, global, internationalist, solidarity with the rest of the earth. He would be dealing with the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. because he still was a deep Christian every Sunday, as you know. He's reading scripture, brother. He's got his kids there <laughs> going through all of the different stories and the parables of Jesus and so forth. He would be tied to the radical king. But I think he would be embracing trans. He would be embracing gays and lesbians. He, he had a sensitivity to the suffering of others. As the boy says in the 1909 text, he loved his neighbor as himself. And he right. took that seriously as a revolutionary, subversive ideal, not just a nice little rhetorical gesture and then going and fit into the mainstream routinized forms of indifference and callousness toward the suffering of others. That's what makes John Brown always rememberable, worthy of reverence, and even given our critiques of whatever he did or, 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 or uh, uh, enacted, in the end, his example of love of oppressed peoples will live forever, man. All right. Uh, Cornell West, uh, we're going to have to continue this discussion. May 9th, I'm going to invite you back on John Brown's birthday. Oh, you because yeah, All right, May 9th. I'm, I'm not going to bother you because I know, I know how busy you are, man. You are the busiest guy. I love you. I, I thank you for all of the work that you, you do. I'm giving you a hug, my brother. You stay strong, and I love your sense of John Brown-like spirit, but also the sense of the comic. You got something John Brown didn't have. John Brown was so serious all the time. He didn't have a sense of the comic like the Richard Pryors, like the Mom Maisley, like the Lenny Bruce's and the George Carlin's. You've got to have a sense of the comic, too. That's what we talked about in jail together. And we'll continue yes. on May the 9th, my brother. All right, Jamie. All right, we're going to go out with uh, John Brown's Body by Gloria Jane. Oh, John Brown's body lies moaning in the grave. While weep the sons of bondage whom he ventured out to save. And though he lost his life in his struggle to free the slaves, his truth is marching on 
John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave, but his truth still marches on. John Brown was a hero, undaunted, true and brave. Kansas knew his valor when he fought her rights to save. And now, though the grass grows green above his grave, his truth still marches on. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave. John Brown's body lies molding in the grave, but his truth still marches on. He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so few, and he frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through. They hung him for a traitor, themselves a traitorous crew, but his truth still marches on. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord, and his truth still marches on. John Brown was John the Baptist for the Christ we are to see, Christ of whom the bondsman shall the liberator be. And soon throughout the sunny south, the slaves were all set free, and his truth went marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah! His truth went marching on. The conflict that he heralded, he looks down from heaven to view on the army of the Union with its flag red, white, and blue. And heaven shall ring with anthems o'er the deeds they mean to do, for his truth still marches on. Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah! His truth. Oh, soldiers of freedom, then strike while strike you may. The death blow of oppression for a better time and way. For the dawn of old John Brown has brightened us today, and his truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory. His truth still marches on. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. He's gone to be a soldier in the army of the Lord, and his truth still marches on. Glory, glory. Glory, glory, hallelujah! Glory, glory, hallelujah!